Okay, we all know we live in times where miniature is what it's all about. Growing up in the 70s, the explosion of Japanese uh, technology, everything started to become miniaturized. The digital age dawned upon us. We moved from clunky old uh, uh, analog to uh, tiny old uh, digital, and many significant things have happened, certainly in my 150 years. You've got uh, things, things like, the, just the way in that, say, just the last 10 years, mobile phones, computers, and cameras, we all know they've just uh, shrunk, and they got smaller and smaller, and yet 1,000, 2,000, 100,000 times uh, more powerful, apparently. We can download now, this is great, we don't need to own DVDs or CDs anymore. You know, this is the great, if you're a, a, a vicar type person, you move house a lot, this is great news. You don't need to download, you, sorry, you don't need to own physical DVDs, CDs or books anymore because you can just download the streams, apparently it's ones and zeros, it's a stream of them and very, they seem to come randomly into a device and all of a sudden you can watch a film, you can listen to music or you can read a book. It's as if it's completely invisible and you get everything you need. We live in this internet age, as you all know we do, where we have probably the well we definitely have the most information we've ever got tons of information far more than any other age and yet apparently the whole internet weighs just 50 grams it's a speck you can hardly see it we live in the dna age where all the information about a person or a thing is contained in a minuscule strand of four letters and that's the age we live in. I was watching a great programme the other night. Um, normally I just sort of watch ITV2, high profile channels, but I went intellectual across to BBC2. And uh, the lead singer of uh, OK Go, and now you all know that band, don't you? They do the mad videos. You put OK Go in, in, into YouTube and you'll have five minutes of complete fun and uh, great uh, videos uh, to watch. Anyway, but the lead singer of OK Go was really concerned because he wrote some songs years ago on a certain format and he can't listen to them anymore. So what he's decided to do is put all his whole history of songs into DNA form so they'll be preserved for the whole of history. So just in a tiny speck, all his life's work uh, can uh, be held. And this is exactly where Jesus is at in our reading today, because Jesus is speaking very small today, tiny, little is where it's at for him. And we'll discover that's a really good thing. God is in the minute, seemingly in the insignificant and the unimportant. That's where his kingdom exists. It's a reading for our times. Now, if you come to uh, this church regularly, you'll know we started a new sermon series and we're thinking about the kingdom at the moment. We're going through parables in Matthew. We're in Matthew uh, chapter 13. And the, all these parables and the two parables we're looking at this morning are about the kingdom of God. And this makes them really important. And they're important because the people who Jesus was speaking to at the time were dreaming of new kingdoms. So he's talking about the kingdom of God and they're saying, I'll have a, a bit of that because they're dreaming of a new age. Just as pro-independence people 
here in Scotland are dreaming of a new Scotland, or the refugees in Syria stuck in Hungary or Croatia are dreaming of final destinations and a new home, or even better, peace back home so they can go and return home. The people of Israel who Jesus is speaking to is dreaming of a time where God completely rules. And they dream of time, this is what they're dreaming, they're dreaming that God would come and smash down the present corruption and all the oppression which the Roman governors bring them. They're dreaming of change, of better lives, and of an end to all their troubles. And up to now, Jesus has been giving them a lot of hope. These people had started to follow Jesus. He was interesting. This young man, who's intense, caring, wise, interesting, strong, articulate, holy, and yet also a man of the people, this young man had been giving them something to dream about. He seems to stand up for them. He seems to be on their side. He speaks with authority. You can tell that all the crowd are working it out. Is he the one Is he the one who's going to save us? And yet, so far in this chapter, they are being challenged deeply about their preconceptions and all of their hopes and dreams. It feels as though Jesus is mixing things up a bit. Jesus tells a story first at the first part of the chapter about a farmer sowing seeds. And yet only a small part of that seed will land in good soil and survive and bear fruit. It's as if not everyone is going to make it into this new kingdom of heaven. He challenges them, are you letting God and his values shape your life? Or are you letting worry or sin or illness or hard times pull you away from God? And then just before the parables we got today, he tells them another story about weeds. A story not where evil and bad things are defeated, But actually, evil and bad things coexist alongside the things of God. The wheat and the weeds grow up together. A story saying, in God's kingdom, you have to be patient. It will be sorted right at the end of time. But for now, it exists alongside everything else. And Jesus introduces us to this idea of the now the kingdom being here now, and also the not yet kingdom, the kingdom having some future perspective uh, to it. There's no blasting away of evil, and there's no uh, blasting away of the corrupt government. Somehow, the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this age grow up together. So these parables are not what was expected from the crowd. This fantastic idea of the new kingdom, God's kingdom, which grips the whole of the people of Israel, is not being expressed by Jesus in the long, longed-for way, the way in which, Paul, uh, which God comes in mighty power and defeats everything bad and brings new Israel, new status and wealth. That's not the story Jesus is giving them. That's the story they want, but Jesus isn't telling them that one. So we're on a downward trajectory And it's going to be emphasised more by these two little parables we've got today. Let's just look at the kingdom of um, heaven being like a mustard seed. I have no idea what page it's on in the Bible, but if you've got an app, 
uh, on your phone with a Bible on. If you haven't, I don't know what you're doing, but you need to get one. And uh, we're in Matthew chapter 13. Now I'm speaking from verse 31. We live in the digital age. You don't need a physical book anymore, just so you know. So 31, verse 31. And all of you sitting there who love books go, oh, I love books, the smell of them, the feel of them. Oh, they're just so comforting. How horrible is this man? Anyway... Chapter 13, verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch on its branches. Okay, simple enough. Get the idea going on there. Just let me tell you a few things about parables. Parables are precious things. Seemingly easy to understand on first acquaintance, but then the more you reflect, the more complicated, and I would say the more interesting, or I would even say the more worrying they become. I love uh, a quote from a theologian called Walter Wink, and he says this about parables. Parables are tiny lumps. I love it when the word lump is used in a theologian's uh, quotes. Parables are tiny lumps of coal squeezed into diamonds, condensed metaphors that catch the rays of something ultimate and glint it at our lives. Parables are not illustrations. They do not support elaborate or, simp or simply a more basic idea. They are not ideas at all, nor can they ever be reduced to theological statements. They are jeweled portals of another world. We cannot see through them like windows, but through their surfaces are refracted lights that would otherwise blind us or pass unseen. So there's nothing spectacular at all about this mustard seed. Uh, you could certainly pass it, as Walter Wink says, unseen. Mustard seed, less than a millimetre in size, and it's virtually invisible. If I was hold, I'm holding one up here, you wouldn't be able to know if I was telling the truth or not. It's tiny. I'm not, I'm not holding one. I need to just declare that. But it's completely tiny. It's a complete speck of a tiny uh, thing. It's insignificant, unimportant, virtually invisible. And Jesus comparing the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed was a really odd thing to do uh, for this crowd. It went outside expectations. It was almost laughable. In fact, you can sort of sense the crowd of being kaforing or going horrified uh, at the thought of, of this. But that's exactly why Jesus spoke in parables. He wanted to catch people's imaginations. He wanted to touch their hearts. He wanted to give them hope. And he told them parables of the kingdom, not so much to explain about the kingdom of heaven, as to announce its coming and to sharpen people's perceptions of its presence. Jesus wanted people to understand about the kingdom of heaven, but the understanding that he was after was not just that intellectual uh, grasp which some theologians sort of bang on about. It was far more than just being intellectual. What he wanted was a holistic apprehension. It was something for which he wanted them the listeners, and I think us today, to have a feel, a vision, a hunger, a thirst, and a longing. And this is the beauty of parables. They move any discussion about God and his kingdom away from some intellectual ponderings into the realm of all of what it means to be human. And that includes our intellects, but also our physicality and emotion. And it's when we 
sort of squash all these things together, we discover our spirituality, the place where the ultimate questions of life are found. And in parable simplicity, Jesus was taking things so deep. Blink and you miss it. Now, the radio and me are good chums. If I had a choice between TV and radio, I would choose radio any day. I think you have a far more satisfying time listening to the radio. You can get on with your chores, and you're having a good time listening to the radio, doing boring old chores. Fantastic invention. Um, and I particularly like it at about 7 o'clock at night, washing up tea and doing all that type of stuff. And I, I will click on Radio 5, because I'm in my late 40s, and that's what men in their late 40s do. And uh, Radio 5 at 7 o'clock uh, is all about football. It's fantastic. So if you like football, it's really good. You get punditry at its best, although I must admit it's gone a bit weak, because they did something about rugby yesterday. I think there's an important competition on Japan did something good or something. But anyway, but I like the football. And... Um, and uh, it's one hour of football being chatted about. So you hear about Jose, Jose Mourinho, Wayne Rooney, Arsene Wenger, Arsenal, Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man City. Strangely, you never hear much about Scottish football. I don't know why. I do watch sports scenes, so maybe I do. But, um, and, and I'm a Birmingham City fan. Never hear about Birmingham City, other than in real negative stuff, like the team have just destroyed something or anything. But anyway, but you don't hear about them. But they go on and on about football. Now, a lot of you are sitting here thinking that's completely terrible. But for somebody like myself, it's very interesting. But it's nowhere near as good as 8 o'clock comes. And then you get the match, and you get the kick-off, and you've got the commentary, and you're hearing about what's going on. And you realise that all those pundits before just do not know a thing of what they're talking about. They're talking complete rubbish. And for me, a good idea of what's going on here is... Jesus is taking us away from the punditry and he's, if you like, putting us on the pitch. He's stopping us talking about it and he's wanting us to experience it. He's saying there's a time to stop talking and intellectualising and waiting uh, for the kingdom and get on the pitch and enjoy the kingdom. Let the kingdom grow in you so you can start to live out what God wants for your life. Let the kingdom grow in you so you can start to live out what God has got to store in your life. And I think there's a message for all of us here. As I was preparing the sermon, I was praying, and there's a message for some of us here that we need to move from punditry and intellectualize, I can't say intellectualization of our faith into real faith. We need to stop putting it all up here and start living it out, start getting on the pitch. Peas and cheese. You're such a wonderful church to be, be, be part of. I, it's just magnificent what I see going on week by week. But I think there is a call for us to stop thinking and start doing a little bit more. And I think Jesus is challenging a bit of this with the mustard seed. I'll talk a little bit more and hopefully it will make sense so, Jesus here in this parable is communicating that God's kingdom wasn't big and brash and look at me and powerful and glitzy and domineering. It's not some ruler coming to smash another ruler up. It's not like some big boardroom discussion about company takeovers. I hear the two biggest breweries in the world are going to join together. It sounds disastrous to me, but the two, so that you can imagine all those boardroom discussions and how rubbish beer will get. It will if that happens. We need to oppose it. Anyway, so it's not about all those big takeovers. 
If that's what you think it is, Jesus is saying you're missing the point. God's kingdom is the tiniest thing. It's a detail, it's a comma, it's a semicolon. I never know how to use those things. It's a word, a whisper. You need glasses uh, to uh, see it, and I need glasses to see this as well. Um, For the mystic Julian of Norwich 700 uh, years ago, it was a small thing in the palm of your hand like a hazelnut. That was the kingdom for them. It was remarkable simply for its existence. For William Blake, it was the grain of sand in which he saw infinity. And for that lead singer of OK Go, it's that strand of DNA. For Jesus, it's the mustard seed. In the seed is so much potential. The seed was programmed to grow into a mustard bush. It wasn't uh, a seed Um, It was what it could become. And do you notice how there's an intentional planting in the ground? It's as if we've all got this mustard seed of the kingdom of God in us, but we've got to decide to plant it in the ground. I think that's important. Now, I could tell you loads about mustard seeds and how they grow into big, huge bushes. Pages and pages of commentaries. I think I've waved for about 50 pages of commentaries telling me about how mustard seeds work. Don't do it. It's, it's, it's a complete waste of time. Um, because, you know, trying to just condense all these parables into actual facts is not what Jesus was trying to do. He wasn't trying to give a science lesson here. He was trying to give sort of a way of understanding how God was. The point is, the seed has bags of potential. And if the seed is allowed to be planted and take root and grow and develop, it has the potential then to sustain life and be a shelter and be the provider uh, for life and to be a safe place for life. For me, about one day a week, um, I am what's called uh, the DDO of Edinburgh. DDO uh, means um, I'm a Darson Director of Ordinance. And basically this means if you want to be a priest, i.e. if you want to be like James, and also me, uh, the bishop will send you to see me and I'll run a series of interviews uh, with you. And I'll let you into a secret. I'm not sure if I should do this, but I think I will. I'm kind. I'm just looking for one thing in those DDO-style interviews. Simply, I want to know, have you got a faith within you, deep in your heart, within your understanding, your intellect, within your emotions, everything which makes you, you? Have you got a faith which sustains, enlivens, supports, and releases you? In other words, I am looking for a mustard seed. Is the kingdom of God in you? And can you see the potential? Thinking, have you got Jesus' DNA running through you? Is the potential there for that to be going on? Is your faith growing, I'm thinking, as I'm listening to somebody? Is it able to support and sustain others? Does your faith keep you going and also other people, families and friends, colleagues, enemies, especially when the going gets tough? Are you someone who just naturally, by the way you live your life, points others to the kingdom? Are you someone where the marks of Jesus are evident? But I need to let you into another secret, because you might sit there wanting to be a priest, and I'll be thinking about those things. But I don't just want it from my DDO priest potential candidates. 
I want it from every follower of Jesus. I look for that in every follower of Jesus. I look for it here at P's and G's. I look for it at soul food. I look for it in our children and young people. I look for it for those being mentored. I look for it in the welcomers as they welcome me to church today. I look for it in the vestry who help uh, lead our church. I look for it in connect groups and I look for it in the staff team. I constantly look for those mustard seeds which points to God's kingdom and therefore his deep activity in life. Remember, when Jesus sees a mustard seed, he doesn't just see something tiny. He also sees its potential to unfold into something great. So he sees not only what is small, not only what is not visible to all, he sees a detail of creation and perceives the full flourishing of that new creation within that seed. This is the story of God. Small and insignificant win the day. From the beginning of the story of God, if you go through the Bible, you see that he chooses the humble and, dare I say, the inappropriate to do his work and point towards this new creation. From Abraham to Joseph, to Moses, to Ruth, to David, to Jeremiah, to Mary, to Peter, to Paul. Flawed, humble, no status, arrogant, bad, insignificant, murderers, adulterers, oppressors, depressed, betrayers, and vulnerable people. Those are the people who God chooses. You see, the mustard seed was in them, and they had the potential to grow and point and nurture people towards God and his kingdom. The mustard seed is still here today. What potential is in us What potential is in us if we let that seed grow within our lives? We might feel insignificant nobodies. I constantly speak to people with low self-esteem. We might feel insignificant nobodies. But mustard seeds transform that thinking. And Jesus keeps this insignificant going into the next parable. You can feel the crowd deflate collectively as he moves from talking about seeds to talking about another insignificant thing, yeast. Verse 33, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds or 30 kilograms in our more modern reading we had this morning of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. Very simple, this. I watch Bake Off, so I understand all this. Um, Yeast, apparently, well, no, I know it's not apparently. It is uh, the magic ingredient in bread making. It has that quality of, despite just using a very uh, small amount of yeast, it means that the dough can grow and grow and grow. There's an invisible, I think, I might be completely wrong here, I'm no chemist, but I think there's an invisible chemical reaction going on which leads to remarkable, visible results. Yeast makes things grow. So God's kingdom is not set and passive and still, but it's invisibly growing. And it grows when people who had the mustard seed of the kingdom of heaven growing in their lives, it grows when they get on with doing what God wants them to do. These people invisibly, unspectacularly, and maybe even unintentionally, just do the things of God. 
In its simplest forms, I think, doing this is very simple. It just means loving people. Kingdom people, mustard seed people, go on to love people. Living out that kingdom commandment of loving God and loving our neighbours as ourselves. When love happens, the kingdom invisibly and yet perceptively grows. Now, I'm hesitating to tell this story, but I think I will. One of my growth areas in the last 12 months is trying uh, to work out what all this means for me in my life. Now, I fail at what I'm about to share spectacularly. I am vulnerable and broken in this, this area, but I have made a new rule for myself. It's simply, I try and really love the person who is speaking to me at the moment in time. Now, I'm not trying to hit on you or anything. I'm just, all I'm trying to do is love. I'm just trying to live out. So, so if somebody comes to speak to me, I'm trying to love them. That's all I try and do. I intentionally, when I'm thinking purposely about it with all my might, um, even when it's hard, even when I really don't want to, I intentionally try to bring love into uh, the situation and respond to that person in love at that moment. I try and communicate in doing all of that that I value that person and that person is important to me, that they are the most important thing in my life as I speak to, to, to them. You need to hear this. I, I spectacularly fail at this. I'm, I am not good at it at all. I'm on trial and uh, I am broken. I need to emphasize this. I get completely distracted. So if somebody goes and does a funny walk behind you, and anyway, I'm, I'm gone. And uh, to give somebody a full attention is hard. But I'm trying to do it. Um, and it, you know, when I'm busy or stressed, I'm rubbish at it. But I'm really trying uh, to do this. I hesitate to tell you this because it's, it's like Lent. You know at Lent people, people give up stuff and then they, they tell you I'm giving up stuff. You know, that seems to not go with Christian stuff. Oh, I'm giving up the chocolate for Lent and then for the whole of Lent they tell you they're giving up chocolate and stuff like that. I feel like every day buying somebody a chocolate bar just to test them. But, but that's not what Lent... It's meant to be in secret. These things are meant to be in secret. When, when you fast, when you decide to do something... You do it secretly. You don't boast about it. So that's why I'm hesitating to tell you. So I'm sorry if this is inappropriate. I just want to try and, and uh, make, sort of make a point, make, try and bring some understanding uh, to, to this. But the thing I need to tell you is it's made such a difference to me as a person. It's made a complete difference practicing trying to love the person standing in front of me. It's made me understand God more. It's enabled me to uh, sort of pray in a stronger, more informed well way. Particularly at soul food, when I practice this, you notice that God can break into situations. You get some wonderful coincidences uh, taking place. And the wonderful thing to me is that I'm probably changing more than anyone else. It's like the yeast, the kingdom is growing up in me. All of what I'm saying is not spectacular. This is not a spectacular thing. This is not, you know, the most interesting thing in the world. But it does change things. It's like the kingdom grows. Yeast grows and develops it. It's an invisible thing which has changed me. Mother Teresa, one of my heroes, said, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. I'm just trying to do a bit of 
bit of that. It changes my life. I dare you, have a go at it. Yeast is simply living out the love and the values of God. It's letting the invisible God free by simply living for God and loving people. And in doing this, we are taking people to a wonderful other reality, beyond our reality here. A reality which actually we can only just glimpse, but it's real enough. It's the kingdom of heaven. And if we do this, the world changes and the kingdom comes a little bit more visible. The hidden things which we see in verse 35 begin to be revealed. And that's the spectacular thing. Jesus is making the hidden visible. He's opening the way up to God. He's revealing the heart of God. And that's simply what parables are. They're revealing the hidden secrets of God. We get behind how God works and we see what motivates him. So today is a day where we're going to embrace the tiny, the insignificant, the invisible, the still quiet voice. Today is a day to listen to the whispers. We look out for the unremarkable. We concentrate perhaps on a detail. We look for the mustard seed and we become like yeast. We live in interesting times. We live in times where people in Scotland are giving up on the church. And as a church, we scrabble around trying to work out how we can change all of that. Quite rightly, because church at its best is a wonderful thing and God loves his church. But I think this, though, these parables challenge our behaviour. These parables challenge us as a church to think differently. There's no great scheme or powerful programme which is going to change, sorry, save the church. No alpha course, no soul food or school of theology will do that. We are being challenged to change our thinking, like Jesus is, challenging the crowd. We're being challenged, I think, to take small things seriously. Don't miss them for the sake of your big plans and grand ideas. We've been challenged to be yeast and just get loving wherever we are. We've been challenged to live for the kingdom and point people to the kingdom. And personally, we're being challenged. Those of us with a propensity to be arrogant are being challenged to think about the living, living sorry, the little things and the seemingly unimportant and lowbrow things. Those of us who have slow self-esteem and think we're a bit rubbish are being challenged to think about our potential and that we're exactly the right of kind of material for God to use. And all of us are being challenged about what it means to be yeast and transform our community with kingdom of heaven values in our schools, in our homes, on factory floors, in our high-rise offices, in the job centre, on your shopping trips, everywhere. We're being challenged to be like the yeast. And when we start to live like this, the wonderful thing is the mysteries of God will come alive in our lives. As we start loving people, the mysteries of God will become real. His secrets find a place in our imaginations. It must be said that when Jesus communicated uh, these parables, nobody really got it. Nobody understood. So ultimately, he was rejected. He was accused. He was crucified. He was buried. The ultimate mustard seed, though, in those moments was planted in tears and failure and despair. And it's at this point these parables really start to come alive because 
that is the point of the resurrection. New life and new hope become a possibility. Jesus ultimately lived out these parables in order that the mysteries he speaks about here in this passage, the mysteries of God, would be ours. So my mustard seed friends, my yeast-like workers for the kingdom, the call this morning is to look to Jesus and all this will come alive in our hearts, in our minds and our lives. God bless us all as we try and work it out.